Ephesians 2, we're picking it up in verse 8, where we left off last week. And here's what we've been looking at here. We saw in verses 1 and 3 last week of chapter 2, we saw what we were. Bad state, all right? The, Paul lays out really this bleak, black backdrop of humanity to show where we were and what we were. But then we saw, verses 4, what God did. And now we're going to continue to pick that up in verse 8 as we continue to see what God has done for us. But then we'll see in verse 10 what we are now. All right? So look at verse 8 with me of Ephesians 2. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So last week we saw two pretty incredible words that really flipped the script. Anybody remember what those two great words were last week? But God, thank you, but God. But God, two words that we need to bring into our situation, right? To recognize that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're dealing with, when you bring God into the equation, man, things change because God changes things. And and the reality is not always what is right before us, it's what God is doing oftentimes behind the scenes and, and, and what he's working out through those things. And God changes things. It was very evident even in our very own lives, wasn't it? Where we saw in in the beginning there of Ephesians 2 that even when we were dead in trespasses, that God made us alive, right? So we've been made alive. There's been change in us. So, but God, two wonderful words. But now in verse eight, we see another two golden words in scripture. Anybody know what they are? By grace, thank you. By grace. These are wonderful words again that it just completely changes things. Now, if you've been a part of the church, you've been a Christian for a number of years, these are two words that sometimes can begin to lose the potency because we hear them so often. You know, we say grace before we eat and, and, and grace this and grace, and, and amazing grace, we sing the hymn. And so these are words that sometimes can lose its effect or power or potency in our lives because it just kind of gets overused and we fail to understand some pl- sometimes just the great simplicity, but then also realize the great complexity in those words. Now, grace simply means favor. The Greek word charis in God's word is translated elsewhere as grace, favor, thanks, benefit, gift, or credit. Now, we often defer to the definition of grace as being God's unmerited favor towards us. This means that your salvation is not conditioned or earned by what you do. Your salvation is not conditioned or earned by what you do. We can sometimes think that our salvation was kind of, again, just a default because of our goodness, right? Like we were pretty much right there on our own, and God just had to kind of polish us up a little bit, say, yeah, you're, you're pretty much there. Just come on in. Let me save you here now that you can become a child of God now. And we think that we were doing so good on our own and and it didn't require much for God to really take us over that step. We sometimes think that we're saved because we were so savable. And the premise, right? The premise of that totally negates all that we saw in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 where we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were following the course of this world. We were disobedient and by nature children of wrath. That was our state, our situation. When you begin to look at that, you go, there wasn't much savable about us or that we were already so close to being saved on our own. No, we were very far gone. 
And so Ephesians 2, 1 and 3 just really begins to lay out for us that salvation by, by being good is not something that we attain to or can attain to because we were dead. Now again, grace is getting that which we don't deserve, right? It's getting something that you don't deserve. I like to use the illustration of, you know, uh, and again, maybe because it's just so personal and it's been um, experienced often, but it's like if I were pulled over by a police officer while driving in my car. And let's say he comes up and goes, man, you were speeding and you are like so guilty of speeding. And I'm just like, yep, you're right, officer. I blew it, you know. Now the officer says, you know what? I'm having a good day and I'm not gonna write you a ticket. It's gonna give you a warning. Well, that'd be mercy, right? I'm not getting something I deserve. I deserve a ticket, I was speeding, but he doesn't give me a ticket. But now grace would come in by the officer going, but you know what? I'm not just not gonna give you a ticket. I, I see your car and your car really sucks. It's not good. And you know what? I've got a new Tesla at home that I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you my car. Now that would be grace. The officer's not giving me a ticket, mercy, but now he's giving me something beyond, above and beyond, that I have no business getting. I have, I have not deserved that, earned that whatsoever. That's grace, you see, and that's exactly what God has done for us. Grace also means then that your salvation is not disqualified by what you've done, because people can oftentimes struggle with the idea like, I, I don't, great for you, you're saved, awesome, but I don't think that's something I can I can have, because you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done, right? Sometimes people kind of write themselves off as though there's no way that they can be saved because they've gone too far into the dark side. And yet, again, grace has never had anything to do with you. You didn't do anything to get it, and you haven't done something that would disqualify you from receiving it. That's what grace is all about. Remember we saw in chapter two, verse four, that God was rich in mercy, right? It's inexhaustible, but then so too, he says in verse seven that God for all of eternity is gonna be revealing the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. In other words, I think grace just goes well beyond anything that we can fathom or comprehend today. Right when we think, oh, there's no way it can get any better, God just keeps showing us how great his grace is, how good his grace is. And we're gonna be hanging out in heaven continually amazed at the wonder of his grace. Isn't that gonna be cool? I think just for all of eternity, we're just gonna be like, Lord, you're just, you just keep blowing my mind how great your grace is. I think in heaven, we're gonna be walking around and bumping into people that we knew here on earth. And we're gonna be like, you made it. I can't believe you're here. I did not think you were going to make it, man. This is incredible. God's grace is so good. They're just going to be like, yeah, man, by the grace of God. And you'll be like, yeah, amen. Say that. And guess what? People are going to be coming up to you going, you made it. Oh, my goodness. God's grace. Is that amazing? You're here. I did not think that you were going to make it. You'll be like, I know, by the grace of God. Thanks for reminding me, right? You know, but that's what it's going to be about. Just being blown away at the riches of his grace where we recognize, man, we, none of us did anything to make it here on our own. It's all by God's grace. So stop thinking you deserve this and stop thinking that you don't deserve this work of salvation. It's given you freely by the grace of God. Stop questioning it and just accept it because God has done this so that you can easily now 
Just receive that good work of salvation that he's done for you so you can now be brought in as a child of God and just walk and enjoy this great fellowship and relationship with him. He's made it possible. He's made it easy for you to attain to that. So by grace, you are saved. That's another great word here, saved. And that's another important word that we can often overuse and sometimes lose again the importance or see that importance of it just diminished. If you were to go up to people and ask, are you saved? You probably get a lot of mixed responses from people. But are those that say yes, would they truly be able to define what they're saved from? What do you mean you're saved? Why, why did you need to be saved? Could they really define that? See, this term can become diluted within Christian circles, but when we stop and see that we were in that category of the guilty and condemned because of sin, that we were awaiting judgment and execution ultimately because Ephesians 2, 3, by nature, we were children of wrath. But then we recognize God saved us. He delivered us. He's redeemed us. When we see where we came from, what we were, and we see now what God has done. We recognize, man, I have been saved completely. Picture any scenario where someone has been saved, whether it be miraculously and just, you know, let's say a bus just barreling down, ready to run over a pedestrian and somebody just dives in and pushes them out of the way the last minute. That person would recognize, man, I was truly saved from a horrific thing. A person that goes overboard in the middle of the ocean and they can't swim and they're going under, they think, this is it, I'm done. Somebody dives into the icy cold waters and grabs a hold of them and brings them back up and saves them. That person recognizes, man, I'm saved because I was at that point of, I was ready to go. Inches away from death, they recognize, man, I've been saved. And, and we as Christians, again, we just kind of sanitize this sometimes and we fail to recognize, man, I was not just inches from death. I was dead. I was dead in trespasses and sins. I had no ability to save myself, and God reached in and pulled me up, delivered me, saved me from what I deserved, which was hell, judgment. We're so blessed today, and, and, and we're not just saved from something. We're saved to something. This is the great thing here now, that God doesn't just save us and go, man, just try to stay out of trouble now. Just don't be in front of moving buses any longer. He doesn't just pick us up and go, just try to get out of trouble. He saves us so that we can now be brought into relationship with him. Amen. He doesn't just let us go. He says, I want you to come into me and experience life in me. So to, to know that you're saved and, and reconciled back to the Father now to enjoy lasting fellowship with him. And we see that salvation comes from faith or comes through faith. Another great word we see, grace, saved, faith, great words that we need to be giving thanks to the Lord for constantly. So faith becomes the instrument by which we receive this free gift of salvation. Alfred said it this way, he said, it, the salvation has been affected by grace and apprehended by faith. Now, we can have faith in a lot of things, right? Just sitting in your chair today required faith that this was gonna hold you up. Not saying that anybody is challenging that in any way, but you know when you sit down, like you believe that this thing's gonna hold you up, right? And, and, and we can talk about faith again in a very generic way. We talk about communities of faith. We talk about people being people of faith. But 
what is that faith truly all about for them? See, it can become very generic, but this saving kind of faith is a specific kind of faith. This saving faith speaks of putting our complete trust and dependency on the finished work of Jesus Christ that he did for us on the cross. There's more than just faith that we can be saved. It's more than just faith that Jesus saves. It is faith by which you put your confidence in Jesus Christ to personally save you. It's putting your trust in the work he's done for you by dying on a cross and paying the penalty for your sin. Now, interestingly, every book in the New Testament uses this word faith, except the Gospel of John and 2nd and 3rd John, which are, are very short books anyways. But interestingly, in the Gospel of John, the whole thrust of the book is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name or that you may be saved, right? Now, interestingly, faith that we see in Ephesians 2 is the Greek word pistis, and it's a noun. But then when John uses that word believe, it's the Greek word pistio, and it's a similar form of that same word for faith. And this word is a verb. It's an action word. And though Paul emphasizes the object of our faith, we put our faith in Jesus, John is emphasizing the action that we take in believing. That this is something that we don't just kind of go, well, I believe that Jesus saves. No, it's saying, Jesus, I am throwing myself upon you, holding on to you as though you were in the ocean drowning and somebody throws you a life preserver. You got to grab a hold of that thing. And this is the idea, this action word where you're saying, I'm going to cling on to you, Jesus, for my salvation because it's only in you. You're the object of my faith, but I also am going to take that action now of believing, putting my faith in you and holding on to you. Amen. That's the faith that, that moves us into now again coming in and being in Christ. This means, again, it has nothing to do with what you can do. Paul makes that very clear here. And that, not of yourselves, right? It's, it's laid out right there for us. This is not of yourselves. You can take no credit for your salvation. This is not about what you're able to do or what you offer up as payment. This is solely about God's grace and Jesus' work that he's accomplished for you. It's, as he says there, it's the gift of God at the end of verse eight. God gives us salvation to you very freely. It's a gift. Now, when you receive a gift, if you're anything like me, man, I, I, I sometimes struggle with receiving a gift. I'm like, oh man, you don't need to do that. That's all. And, but, but when you receive a gift, you don't say, oh, thank you. How much was this? Where do I write the check to, right? You're not, you're not trying to pay them back right away. I mean, you feel like you need to sometimes. You, you, you sometimes feel guilty. Like, oh, this person's giving me. Now, I, does that mean I got to get them a gift now too? Like, do I have to prepare? And so we struggle. We play this little kind of mind game in, in, our, in our head and we're struggling over these things. But you see, a gift is meant, it's a gift because it's freely given to you without any, any strings attached. And Jesus says, this is the gift of God. I'm not, I'm not asking for you to repay this. I'm asking you to simply accept this and receive it. That's why it's a gift. And you receive it in grace through faith. That's the whole point of this here. So God does something so wonderful for us. It's like, it's like God's written this, this salvation check for us, right? He's written it all out. It's all there for you. But all you need to do now is go and deposit that. 
Now, we might sit there and hold on to that check and go, well, this is great and all, but is it legit? Is it really all accounted for? Is it really going to be there? Is it going to bounce on me? Faith says, I'm going to take this now and I'm going to, I'm going to deposit it. I'm going to apply this to my life. I'm going to see that salvation and that righteousness of Christ be credited to, to my account now. See, God's offered salvation to, to the whole world, but a lot of people are just kind of sitting on that check right now. They're not depositing it. That's what faith does. It puts that into your account now. And Paul emphasizes again, just so we don't miss this, that this has nothing to do with our works. He says in verse eight, this is not of yourselves, but now he says in verse nine, it's not of works. It's not of works. You see, I think we can so easily fall victim to this trap of religion because I think the default position of humanity's heart is this position of religion where we think we've got to earn our way. Now, we live in a world where everything is about that. You want something, you got to earn it, right? You want a raise, well, you got to work for that raise. You got to earn it. You want to get an A on that class or that paper, well, you got to study hard. You got to put in your time. You want to get an allowance, well, you got to do your chores, right? We grow up with this whole mindset that anything we get is something that we've earned or we've got to work for, suddenly now God flips it all around and says, I'm going to do something that goes so contrary to the way of the world, and I'm going to give you something that you don't absolutely deserve one iota. And we struggle with that sometimes. And so what we do is we go, well, I, I want to contribute a little bit. I want to make it feel like I'm actually deserving this. See, that's our own pride that comes in where we go like, I want to feel like I deserve this a little bit. So we start to contribute. We try to put in some time. We try to put in some work. And, and the Lord, and Paul is saying so clearly here, it's got nothing to do with you. Stop trying to earn this and work for it because then you take away grace, right? See, Adam and Eve, right from the very beginning, it, it models it for us. When they sin, what do they do? They try to cover themselves. They realize, oh my goodness, we're, we're guilty. So they try to cover themselves. And that's what people do today. They try to cover themselves up. They try to say, I want my good works to kind of outweigh my bad works. I want to kind of cover over my bad works by my good works. And by doing so, then maybe God will be a little bit more accepting of me. And we're working for our salvation and our, our relationship and our acceptance before God. And, and God's made it clear, stop working for it because it's never been about that. You, you take away grace. You, you kind of minimize the work that Jesus had to do when you think that you can add to that in any way. So Christians need to stop thinking that they can add to that work or perfect that work by their work. It's not by works. Can you say that with me? Not by works. Let's try that again. Not by works. You need to, you need to drum that into your head because, again, that default position of our heart keeps coming back and saying, let's, let's contribute a little bit. Let's add something to it. So, my friends, stop beating yourselves up when you feel like your works aren't sufficient or when you feel like you're undeserving or when you feel like you've blown it. Rejoice in grace today, Christian. Rejoice in grace. Warren Wiersbe says this, since we have not been saved by our good works, we cannot be lost by our bad works. Grace means salvation completely apart from any merit or works on our part. Grace means that God does it all for Jesus' sake. Amen. I love that. I kind of think, you know, when we, when we look at these things and, and Paul's gonna get into... Uh, you know, not of works as anyone should boast. I think sometimes we, again, we have this um, kind of infatuated high view of ourselves more than we ought. And sometimes I think, 
you know, we, we walk around like the fawns, all right? Now, just bear with me here on this, okay? Because <laughs> the fawns was like this epitome of cool. And I'm dating myself, yes, but I think I'm in a room where most of you know the scenario, I hope, right? And so that's it, fawns, right? I mean, leather jacket, sunglasses, motorcycle riding, slick back hair, flips, his, snaps his fingers, and, you know, lights are turning on or off. And, and he's like the epitome of cool, right? And somebody comes up and says something on the fawns, and what does the fawns do? He just does... Hey, thumbs up, right? Hey, and I think we sometimes think that way about ourselves when somebody says, hey, are you a Christian? Are you a Satan? We're just like, hey, come on, right? Look, what do you think? Of course I'm saved. You know, we're just like, hey, that's all we give, right? But then sometimes we fail to connect the dots and realize that the fawns grew up to be Henry Winkler of all the Adam Sandler movies where he's this kind of nerdy guy. He's weak. He's kind of compulsive and all these things. And you're like, that's the fawns? You're like, what happened, you know? I mean, even his name, Henry Winkler, is a little bit nerdy. You're just like, what happened there? And I think oftentimes we've got this view of the fawns of ourselves where God's looking at us as a bunch of Henry Winklers going, you've done nothing. You've got nothing to boast in of yourselves. You're a bunch of weak, incapable of saving yourself people, and you've got to have a right view of yourself where you're not boasting, but you're simply boasting in what God has done for you, Right? I'm not the Fonz, man. I'm, I'm Henry Winkler. I'm like just trying to get by life and not, you know, get run over by a bus or something, right? So Paul says this in Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says that's the only thing that I can boast in is in the cross, meaning in what Jesus has done for me. And Paul, if anybody could boast, it was Paul. Philippians 3, he gives over these great credentials of what he's done. And it's like, I can take all that, but he says, I consider that all dung, a pile of garbage in comparison to just knowing Christ and knowing what he's done for me. And Paul says, I can't boast in any of that stuff. I can only boast in the Lord. And we need to start realizing that there's nothing in us that we bring to the table where God says, oh, thank you, all right, I can meet you now halfway and you kind of done the, no, God says, I've done it all. You've got nothing to boast in except in me. I love the old hymn, Rock of Ages, that says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. May we be doing just that, hiding ourselves in Christ, boasting only in the cross. Now, verse 10, and we are so running out of time here, but I want to finish this verse here. Verse 10, we've seen what we were, we've seen what God did, now we see what we are now. Now, here's the great thing, guys. We're not saved by works, but look at what Paul notes next here now. We are saved for good works. He says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, clearly we're not saved by our works, but we are saved to live in and to do good works. They have nothing to do, keep this in mind, they have nothing to do with their salvation. This does not contribute to your salvation. This is about living as a saved person. There's a big difference there. Now, when God created us, 
We were made in his image, right? We were made to, to be in relationship with God. We operate on a whole different level than the animal kingdom does in, as far as relationship to God goes. But in, in another way, too, we're creating God's image because of our, our creative capacity. God was a very creative God. We see that in that he, he makes you know, the heavens and the earth, and then he fills it all. He brings great creativity into all of that. And he says at the end of creation, in each of these things that he's done, it is good. He repeats that, oh, it is good, it is good. But then Adam and Eve come into the picture, right? And sin comes in the picture, and suddenly it's not good. They've marred what God has designed, and suddenly now these good works began to become bad works. And yet, we go, how do we get around that now? How do we repair that? How do we fix that? It's all found in Christ because what was lost in the fall becomes renewed in Christ. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In other words, we become now recreations when we become born again. When we put our faith in Jesus for salvation, we become a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're recreated, and we become now his workmanship, and this is so good. This is the Greek word poema, and it means, it's where we get our English word poem, but it means like we're kind of like his, his work of art. And so God recreates us in Christ. We become a new creation so that we can now be put on display as his masterpieces, not to pump up ourselves, but so that we might glorify God. And how do we glorify God? We glorify God by living as new creations to where we're no longer following the course of the world, doing bad works. We're suddenly now a new creation and we're doing good works. Bible says in Matthew 5, uh, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. It's all meant not to pump ourselves up, but to glorify him and to make Jesus be more seen. We're his workmanship. We're that work of art. Don't let that go to your head, my friends. Don't let this be something where you go, well, because we were so wonderful, God decided to save us. No, God saved us when we were pitiful and dead, but he has recreated us, and he now is working in us to display his glory and his wonder. May you live solely for his glory and his praise. That's what it's all about, my friends. And that's the blessed life to live. Life, when you are living your life for yourself and it's about you, man, that's miserable, isn't it? Because you've all done it. I know you have. Some of you are still probably doing it, but you've all lived in that life where it's all about you. you want, your, your world is just all about centering around you. You're the center of the universe. And you quickly realize that not everybody thinks the same way you do. And things get bumped out of position and, and you just become bitter and upset, frustrated. It's not fun. But when you suddenly go, God, you're the center of it all. My life is simply existing for your glory and praise. When you begin to get in that mind frame and that mode, suddenly you're realizing, man, life is good. It's not about me. It's all about him. And he's done a work in you to save you for a purpose, my friends. He has saved you not just from something, but saved you to something, to life in him, relationship with him, but to do good works to glorify our heavenly father. Oh, may I, I pray that you may see just the wonder and the glory and the beauty of life being lived that way. Worship team, if you'd come up right now, um, and we're going to take some time to just 
meditate on and think about this work that's been done for us. We're gonna move into time of communion. If you did not get your communion cups, if you wanna support right now, we have some available in the foyer. Uh, we're gonna take communion just on our own this morning as we sing this last song of worship here today and we're totally over time and so we'll have to just kind of figure that out here. Okay, and so, um, but let's stand together and we take a communion here, my friends, because this is to do in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. That we sit here today, save people, simply because of the grace that, that God displayed upon us through his son, Jesus Christ, in dying on a cross for us. If you are watching online today, or maybe you're in this room, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the, the message, the, the good news is very simple. You were dead in sin. And Jesus loved you so much that he sent his son, the perfect one, sinless, fully man, yet fully God, to die on a cross. And when he did that, he paid the penalty for your sin. He took God's judgment for you and for me that we deserved. He took God's judgment upon himself and he bore the penalty of that sin. He died, but he rose again life, newness of life, so that you could be forgiven and so that you could be brought into right relationship with God. But what you need to do is confess your sin and I'll put your trust in Jesus as your savior. And if you haven't done that, would you do that today? There's no better day to do it than right now because you never know when you will have your last breath. But you can know whenever the day comes, you have the hope of heaven. You have assurance of salvation because you are now in Christ. And I pray that you all recognize that, know that. And if you don't know that and need more help with that, come and talk to me after the service. But we're gonna partake of communion as a way of just saying, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for doing the work for all that I needed done in my life. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we partake here in joy and in remembrance of the awesome God that you are. Amen.